Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. On each podcast, we dive in a little deeper to a relevant topic in our spiritual journeys, which may or may not be connected to the message from Sunday morning. If you have a topic you'd love to hear us consider discussing or have a question or prayer request, just send a text to eccinfo to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org. And now to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Experience Christian Church podcast for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Diane Karshner, your host. And with me is Matt Silver, our pastor extraordinaire. And he is extraordinary or extraordinary or say hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? Glad, glad you, glad you could join us actually. Yeah. You know, Matt, um, your sermon this week was quite insightful in so many ways, but one of the quotes that I liked the best was the one you quoted about the pillow. Do you remember that quote? Oh yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what it meant? Because you didn't know what it meant. I know, on that, Sunday. that was an awkward transition. I knew what it meant. I just. Okay, so he said, uh, let me let me remind him what exactly what he said. Nothing is as soft as the pillow of a clear conscience. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's deep. deep. It was really deep. So I took it upon myself to help you with that and clarify the meaning of it, because I know that you need it. All right. There's no pillow as soft as a clear conscience was said by John Wooden. Oh, yeah. Football coach extraordinaire. There you go. Okay. John Mellencamp, on the other hand, said, an honest man's pillow is his peace of mind. Mm. I'm pretty sure that's in one of his songs. Could be. But my favorite, and you guys have to comment on this sometime during this podcast. It was said by Kanye West. And you know it's going to be a goodie. Mm -hmm. Fur pillows are actually hard to sleep on. <laughs> that's deep. Yeah. yeah, it's deep. I think it's deeper than John Wooden's for sure. Because Kanye knows best, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. You guys are supposed to laugh a whole lot more at that than you did. So thanks a lot for your support. Well, we, we don't uh, know who else is here yet. You've been I'm going to introduce him right now, Matt. All right, good, good. Joining with us and not laughing until I said to laugh uh, is Mark <laughs> Lucinius from Project 938, which is located quite close to our Exton office of Experience Christian Church. Mark, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what the heck you're doing on our podcast. Sure. Well, I, hey, thanks so much for uh, allowing me to be here. Um, it's not the same as uh, trying to sleep and take a nap on a fur pillow, but I'm, I'm glad to be with you guys. Uh, so uh, yeah, we, we launched our church Westchester um, in 2018 and along the way uh, became friends with Matt and Carrie and uh, got to have like sort of a front row seat to experience church launching and, uh, uh, and out of it got to have sort of a, a friend and a co-labor and somebody for me to, to, to cry on when I'm not putting my head on a fur pillow. So, um, so uh, Matt's shoulder has been a, a shoulder for me to socially distance cry on for the last <laughs> months. Man, it must have been an exciting year for you guys being an, a new church plant a couple only a couple of years, Mark, and us being 
four months old when the pandemic hit. So Matt, tell us a little bit about how you guys try to stay sane through those early months of this crazy year of 2020. Yeah, well, Mark was supposed to be the answer guy for me for all things. <laughs> and he wasn't supposed to have to do a pandemic at the same time as me. So he is <laughs> has been great to, to travel through and navigate the same conditions with just some variations. So it's just fantastic doing life with Mark, getting ready to call him. He has three kids. I have three kids. And so it's just been a joy to navigate personal life as well as ministry life and talk strategy. And uh, Mark's a solid guy. What does 938 even mean, Mark? Like, what is that? Is that what time you started? What's, what's 938? <laughs> no, 938 refers to a story from Jesus. Uh, uh, when Jesus looked at the crowds, he, he saw everyone and he had compassion. And he, from there, envisioned the church to be an extension of his love and grace. And so we root ourselves into that story because that's, that's what we want to reflect in, uh, in our story as a church and the way we serve. Yeah. And that didn't change in the pandemic. So that's just mm-hmm. always been good. The one thing. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was 2020 was quite a year for all churches, but for church plants, man, we learned to um, pivot on the fly, right? Um, we didn't have any choice. <laughs> so thanks so much, Mark, for joining us. We're, we're gonna be talking about today um, what Matt's message was about recently, just about um, the adulterous woman who was thrown in front of Jesus by a whole bunch of really angry people just asking him, say, you know, talk to us about her, man. And uh, the way he handled it can teach us so many things. So one of the things that you talked about, Matt, was about um, the satisfaction of sin short term and how it is so different than the long term joy for pursuing holiness. And that's the word you use, pursuing holiness, which I think needs some explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, so for both of you, how do you see the reality of short term satisfaction of sin versus long term joy in the ministries that you've had and the experiences you've had even before you started your churches. Matt, you go first. Yeah, I'll set it up a little bit. The the misnomer that I believe that we chase after is the idea of I can pursue happiness at any cost. And it's the idea that if my heart thinks this is a good thing, well, then it's definitely going to be a good thing and it's worth pursuing. And people say, let your conscience be your guide, follow your heart which are great things sometimes, but other times, especially in moments when we're desperate to find some happiness, desperate to find some kind of joy, our heart can lead us to some very temporary satisfaction things that lead us very empty. And that was the nature of this conversation. So there's so many things going on in John 8. You have someone who was identifying pleasure or chasing after it, maybe out of necessity, maybe it was income related. We don't know a whole lot about the adulterous woman other than the fact she was in an adulterous relationship at the moment. And she was brought forth as an example. And really it wasn't about her. It was about trapping Jesus. What we gleaned out of the story was whenever we're brought before Jesus, we might think game over, but Jesus actually provides us with an opportunity for forgiveness. And then he says, I condemn you not go and leave your life in sin. So we find this intersection of grace and truth. We find grace in the fact that Jesus says, hey, we're, I have something better than any kind of happiness you can go off and pursue. I offer you a better, more fulfilling deal of becoming more like me, following how I've created you. I love you. I can put you on a different trajectory. 
And that's the idea of pursuing holiness. Holiness is just becoming whole with God. And it's, of course, aligning with the standards. But sometimes we look at holiness through the lens of behavior modification. I just got to behave. I've got to be a better person. I can't sin. I can't. I can't. I can't. And that makes us unhappy because all we're doing is focusing on the things we can't do. And then we become as we're like, God's just killed joy. How am I going to be happy if I can't do the things that actually make me happy? But if we lean into it, that furry pillow occurs after we deal with a little bit of regret in our life. When something that we pursued came up empty, it's a little bit more stiff. It's not as quite as comfortable as we had hoped. There's your metaphor of the pillow. And we find ourselves laying down at night with lots of regrets. How did I get myself into this? Why did I do this again? I said this was going to be the last time. And this didn't lead to where I wanted to go. And the idea of giving yourself to holiness is a different track. So, yeah. Mark, how do you see this playing out with the people that you work with practically at your church? Well, uh, Matt, that's, a, a, I think seeing, uh, seeing sin is short-term and holiness is this positive way forward is, is a really helpful way of thinking about it. Uh, before we planted, I was pastoring uh, at my particular church, a, a community called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a 12-step recovery uh, ministry uh, for folks uh, dealing with any kind of hurt, habit, or hang-up. And I would be there, and I every week I would meet with those who are new. And here's just a little, just a little background. Uh, when people go to celebrate recovery for the first time, it's usually not on their best day, right? You, you know, no one, no one wakes up like I can't wait to go to celebrate recovery. People don't grow up and say, "Man, I hope I be, I hope I get to be in recovery someday." Uh, usually, they they're coming to it from some sort of rock bottom, some sort of like this woman there come to Jesus moment. Uh, but one of the things I found in, in, you know, hearing 350 to 400 stories of people as to why they're there, uh, their, sin, their sin made sense when you understood their story. Their mm -hmm. sin almost seemed logical. Sin almost always has an internal logic to it uh, and, and the short-term logic. But sin is almost, it, it's almost always reactive. And what uh, recovery is given for me, and I think this the gospel offers us, is a, a way forward, a, a positive way to construct a new life based upon what Jesus has done for us, rather than reacting to our past, reacting to what people have done to us, reacting to our mistakes, our guilt, our shame. Uh, reaction is almost always short-term focused, but a holiness is almost always long-term uh, creative and productive, proactive. Wow. I never thought of uh, <clears throat> choosing something that a uh, hurt, a habit, or a hang up as something short term. I always thought it was just part of me. This is just what I do, <laughs> versus that, that being the short term and long term being getting, getting past it, recovering from it. I'll speak my life. Um, sin is almost always a reaction to how I'm feeling or what may be triggered in me. And it's almost always to help me feel a little bit better for right now. It's rarely, um, it, it's usually, it's short-term thinking and it's stepping out of the bigger story that God's doing in my life. All right, wow. Celebrate recovery. Um, that's what's often offered in other churches, right? It's 
was it your church that did celebrate recovery? Is that that you led that ministry? Yeah, it was a part of our church, and there's and, and they're they're in every town. You know, churches do this in every town. Some of the groups are twelve people. Some of the groups are hundred people. It's you know they have different varieties. Okay, yeah, I've heard a lot about the program. So um, and the emphasis over that recovery program is just Christ centric. Is that how you would best describe that versus? A- sure. I mean, you know, things like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, uh, Overeaters Anonymous or uh, all, all the different anonymous movements. They all they're they're rooted in the twelve steps. Uh, yet they, they tend to be um, more secular versions, whereas sober recovery is specifically Christ-centered. Okay, all right, good to know. Okay, so Matt, in your, in your message, you talked about that group, of, that group of men that brought that woman to Jesus's feet as the posse. So in our ministries and in our churches and the work you've done in Celebrate Recovery, Mark, um, how have you seen the idea of the posse playing out in people's addictions or sins? Um, and who is our posse today in the world that we live in? Obviously, then it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees are always pointing their fingers. And But who is it today that's actually the posses that, that you see people struggling against? Mark, I'll give you that one. Sure. Uh, Matt, that is such a it's, a, it's a fantastic sort of metaphor because I think it, each of us have a have our ear sort of our ears attuned to different voices, right? And maybe maybe you know we are labeled growing up as kids, and so we have this like we have these rabbit ears that hear accusations about our body image, or rabbit ears that um, that hear the accusations around how other people have more uh, affluence or more wealth than we do, or how other people just perform better than us, and or we have rabbit ears that we're victims, right? You know, and that like, the, everything's always happening to me. And, and, and the, they put us in these re, uh, reactive modes, uh, you know, and then what ends up happening is that, you know, we start looking for these things, whether it's social media, you know, that, it, you know, maybe it, sometimes it could end up political. It's always them, it's always them, or it could end up just, just everybody always has a better vacation than I do. Right, or it just feels like everybody's on vacation and I'm always working. Why is that? Well, because every every week somebody on social media is on vacation, but I'm still working, right? And so you can always find some some way um, to trigger that sense of worthlessness or shame or hurt in, inside of us. Almost like the rabbit ears have filters on them, and you only hear what supports what you're, you're thinking about yourself. Exactly. Matt, what do you, what's your comments on this and what have you seen uh, as the posses in somebody's life? Yeah, I, I think it was always fun being a youth pastor where whenever the group was, whenever you had more teenagers than three, somebody was gonna be the oddball and they were gonna get ganged up on on something. It's how they treated something, how they dressed, how they do anything. So we really don't take, it doesn't take many people to form a posse. It just really takes three or more. And I could remember the unique nature of which even in youth group or churches, they would develop these things as acceptable or non-acceptable. And I remember one particular time we would have this hangout time in the beginning. People would be playing games, any different exercises that they wanted to. And we just had what was called Rhapsody then. Rhapsody was before Spotify. So it was this online library of music and people could choose which music they wanted to play. 
And I remember one girl came in and said she wanted to play Eminem. And this was at church. And it was the song he had, um, Mockingbird. I think that was the song. And it was the one he wrote to his daughter. And it was a beautiful song. No cursing, nothing in a, offensive at all. And two girls walked up to me and said, I can't believe you're playing Eminem at youth group. And I'm like, why? They're like, he's not appropriate. I was like, is this song inappropriate? Like, no, this song's not, but all his other ones are, and we shouldn't be listening to it. And I said, well, I think maybe we should play it because it's such a good message. Let's give them a chance. They walked away. They sang every word to this song, and I saw them. And I said, girls, come here real quick. You just said we shouldn't play this. And then you sang every word. You're like, well, I listen to it when I'm not here. <laughs> I said, if we can't listen to it at youth group, you shouldn't listen to it at home. And if you can listen to it at home, we should be able to listen at youth group. And so just that idea of even Christian subculture or if it's a Republican Party, something all of a sudden will be indefensible and then they're uptight or the Democratic Party and something indefensible and it calls a Christ and we get uptight. It's almost like when we look around, we're like, hey, our tribe has actually betrayed me in this value or this position. We all get a little, we're like we're holding our rocks, looking at each other. Well, you know, it's that, uh, it's that movie scene where everybody pulls their guns at the same time and then they start pointing at each person when they make their case. And they're like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? It's like, actually, we're all guilty on some capacity. And that's the humility and the grace that it all takes. Um, it's a pretty fascinating endeavor. So that's a long story to give your answer. I think posses develop at any given time, in any given circumstance, and you'll never find yourself in the same posse, giving yourself enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Don't get too comfortable with it. I'll add to that, Matt. I have this ability to make a posse <laughs> against me, right? For forever. When my kids were young, you know, I felt like I always had to choose between, you know, spending time with my kids and, you know, helping out and then working on the out, working on the yard. And like, there was always these old dudes who had no time, no, nothing to do. They didn't have kids. And so they spent all their time on their yard. And so, you know, all weekend long, I'd be beating myself up that my yard isn't as nice as their yard. And, I, and I'd always say, you know what, these people are constantly talking about how awful my yard looks. They're not talking about me at all. Like my, my dentist always says, don't worry about what people think about you. They're not. Your dentist? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard many people quote their dentist. That's got to be a pretty powerful person there. That's amazing. <laughs> Don't worry about what people are thinking about me, about me. They're not. <laughs> I think I'm going to embroider that on a pillow. <laughs> That's a good right. thing. Hey, okay. actually, if you can put it on a fur pillow. On the right. fur pillow. Oh, wait a minute. I had to put that point down for you. You are way ahead in the fur pillow contest, by the way, Mark. Yeah. Way ahead, Matt. Okay. Let's shift to a more uh, serious topic other than fur pillows for just a moment. Um, Brene Brown and her shame research um, define shame. Let me make sure I'm going to read it to make sure I have it right. Define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. And I think that last comment, unworthy of connection is what caught my eye in this definition. Um, uh, Matt ended up his, um, his message this past weekend uh, by asking the question, who are you talking to about what's bothering you? So there was a connection that he was in, encouraging everyone to make. So 
comment on this, especially you, Mark, because I know you've done some research yourself on shame. Um, how does it play out in ministry? Does this keep people from God, from community, uh, from the healthy connections? Where does shame play a part in probably all of our lives? Yeah, no, uh, I, I like the way Brene Brown, she'll, she will distinguish shame from guilt, right? Guilt yeah. is like something bad. Shame makes me feel bad. And shame is that thing that it, it is a strong experience. Uh, and back and back in when I was doing some studies, I did some research on on this. And what I found uh, was shame is as a as a strongly physiological experience for a person. They did brain scans of people before and after something that would trigger shame. And and your typical brain has like nine to you know, nine different domains, different aspects. And to look at the uh, brain scan, it looks like a city at night. You know, the, the brain's working together. It's all, all the domains coordinating to make the body function rightly, right? And it's like the city at night, all, the, all kinds of lights and, and uh, connectivity. Uh, but when, when the brain is triggered by shame, it's like the lights go out in the city and the nine domains stop communicating with each other. Instead of, you know, our prefrontal cortex, which controls our, our thinking, our actions, what ends up happening is our most primitive part of our brain, the amygdala takes over. And just like any other city, when the lights go out, right, the barbarians take over. And that's, that's essentially what happens to us when we're triggered by shame. The, the things that not just enable the, the brain to connect to one another, but the limbic loop that enables us to connect to other people also shuts down. So we, we shut down to ourselves and fight, flight, or freeze steps in. But we also shut down from one another's and you can, you know, the typical reaction, someone's shame, they begin looking down, they lose eye contact because they, they literally lose the ability to connect to another person because it's whether it's the memory, the event or the experience made them feel, you know, diminished, you know, rather than experience the fullness of the dignity of the image of God in themselves. And so, uh, and here's the thing, it's a physiological phenomena that meta medicine has no solution for. So there's no medical solution to this thing that happens to your body physiologically. There's only one, there's only one documented uh, way that we can heal from shame. The only way uh, a person heals from shame is when they're able to articulate the thing that caused shame in the context of an accepting person. And, you know, that's, you know, it's, I think it's one of the powerful things of uh, my friendship with Matt, you know, we've been able to be there for each other when I say it, when I'm able to talk about, you know, I, I wasn't able to lead this endeavor the way I wanted to, or this message didn't come out the way we want. And, and pastors feel shame. We, we want to bring more to our people. We want to do our best. And sometimes we don't bring our best and we, we're, we're, we have sin and we have to talk about that thing. And, you know, when pastors get isolated, they get vulnerable. And like uh, the ability for Matt to hear me talk about the ways I've fallen down or just, you know, the regrets I have or the resentments I have releases me from the temptation to live in the short term to react to that tr shame trigger. You know, a lot of sin is just reacting to that shame trigger. So you don't have to feel bad, whether it's sugar or an escape or something like that. Um, when when uh, I have a human to talk to, to confess it to, to be relieved of that burden, 
I don't have to look to a short-term fix. I, I, you know, instead of something reactive that's destructive, I end up bridging a relationship which is productive and proactive and creative. And I end up stronger as a result of the, the weakness and not debilitated from the shame. So, uh, and, and that, and that in, in many ways is the secret to the recovery movement. But I also believe it's the power of churches like Experience Christian Church uh, and the way they've been, way uh, Matt and Carrie and, and the, the stories I hear of you guys continuing in groups and connections like that. Those connections are the ways that we stayed sane through the pandemic. You know, being able to call Matt and chat with Matt or use Marco Polo and just back up the truck on him relieve myself of my shame uh, uh, were these these freeing experiences for us and so anyway blah 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 I, I kind of uh, overworked that point but um, yeah you, you, you take those shame triggers and when you have the right relationships it frees you not just from the, the burden of shame but also the accusations of the posses in your life that's strong one thing I think you probably, in a ministry context, void of personal relationships where you're with two or three people and you can actually share these things. What happens sometimes in a group setting is the only people that speak up are the ones that have already achieved victory over a sin or an issue. Mm -hmm. So people speak about when I used to struggle with blank mm -hmm. to the setting of 12. And if people aren't familiar enough with people's story to know that sin still an issue recurring, it just resurfaces in a different way. It can really set up this group setting where it's just information transfer. They're just petty answers or not connecting a heart to it because there's no understanding that I can bring my particular sin to this group setting because a group, whoever's having some kind of struggle that is acceptable. Yeah. That's become normalized. And the guy's like, yeah, me too. I struggle with that. Oh yeah. I struggle with that. And then a nuanced sin or something that's particularly daunting may not be shared in that setting. It just takes time and trust and so many good things. So it's not to say it can't happen in a large group setting. Mark can probably speak to times where it's been successful, but I've been in group settings before where I know one guy had a particular sin, had it buried and sat in accountability circles for a month and faked it was quiet, didn't want to confess that because another guy in the group used it as an example of something he doesn't do. He hasn't struggled with. Mm. And so it just became this setting where how am I going to be vulnerable without being judged by the people I care about? Now, had he shared it, everyone would have received him, but he didn't believe that. I believe that goes to Mark shame thing. He just was basically looking down, wasn't willing to share that particular moment. So I would just say that it, it takes a forging of relationships where you can actually be sincere about what you're currently struggling with. And there has to be an understanding that the only unforgivable sin in scripture is blasphemy of the Holy spirit, which is a refusal to turn to God for support. No other sins off limit. They have different penalties. Like, you know, Hey, I appreciate you sharing that. We're going to have to call the police right now. Like that could be a realistic yeah. expectation, yeah. but you're not abandoned. You're not looked at as unbelievable hey, we're, we're all messy. You just got in a bigger accident or you're in a bigger, tougher spot, but we're going to walk with you and love you through it. Yeah. Well, Matt, I think your church is going, over time, that's going to be 
something that's going to stand out. Um, you know, everybody else doesn't get to see what I get to see when it comes to Matt because we'll hang out with the other pastors, and Matt has the ability to disarm people with his vulnerability of the stuff he's been able to work through. And like Matt, you have um, you have done the kind of work in your life, you know, going through some of the grief you've experienced and just some of the pain you've experienced and create a disarming experience to where I, I almost immediately felt safe to be able to share some of the challenges I have felt because um, having been through some of these things, you have, you have the ability to authentically share with, you know, without losing yourself. Um, and open cracking open the other group and so Matt among other pastors leads out in what he is sort of preaching here and that's and that's so that 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 sort of benefits the whole mm -hmm. you know the whole neighborhood of pastors and churches in our community yeah not surprised by that at all it's um it's actually what drew me to come and help plant the church was Matt's I always thought you used to call it relation relationship building. He can just build a relationship with anybody, but I think you nailed it. It's his vulnerability. It's his willingness to be authentic, even when it's might be embarrassing to others to be as authentic. <laughs> uh, I'm married to a man just like that. So it, I always am amazed when I look at him and go, I can't believe you told them that. <laughs> but yet that authentic, that authenticity is what pulls people away from their own shame. So one of the things you said, Mark, was um, that when you have your head down in shame, that's what leads to sin. For some reason, I had shame in my list of sins that I, would, I shouldn't be feeling shame because that's sinful. Um, can you speak to that a little bit um, about how people feel about themselves? This is a physiological activity yeah. in my life, so it shouldn't be a sin, but... Yeah, Matt, Matt and I have talked about this. Just it's shame is the damage of sin. You know, a lot of times we 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 think of uh, the need to experience forgiveness from our sin, but we don't recognize that sin leaves damage and wake behind us, uh, particularly in the form of shame. Personally, obviously, other effects, right? Because you know, you know, doing wrong things leads to broken things, but we don't realize the act of sin itself actually has, you know, leads to psychological, you know, damage to our own sense of self. And so um, when people sin against us, it causes us shame. But when we sin, it also, you know, it perpetuates the shame. It perpetuates a storyline that's not true in our lives. You mentioned, yeah. you just mentioned forgiveness. And I think that Forgiveness has, has been one of those areas uh, for me that's been, um, it's actually been one of the easier things that I've been able to conquer, um, except when it comes to forgiving myself. So is the unforgiveness of self part of the whole shame um, cycle that we can get ourselves into? Where does unforgiveness of self fit into all of this? Yeah, Matt, you, 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 might, have, uh, you might have some more... Uh crisp words on this. The, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about forgiving yourself. Um, there's not, there's not much there, but I do think that I think what you're probably speaking about is the, um, 
the, the feeling of loss of value and worth and dignity that you, that shame attributes to your identity. And so uh, the cross, the cross does two things. And Jesus, Jesus, Jesus pays the price to, to accomplish forgiveness, but also gives us an identity by which we can now cleanse ourselves from shame. And so what you see in the Old Testament is you see, you see the priest laying hands on a goat, and then they give voice to the sins of the people. And so in giving voice to it, 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 it detaches us from that. It just says, this is what we've done, but this isn't who we are. And when we're able to give voice to the things we've done, it detaches us from us and gives us the ability to free ourselves. And, and it has this cleansing path. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to, uh, if we can confess our sins to another, we have fellowship with God. Um, and God is faithful and just to forgive our sins, but also cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there's the forgiving side of it, but also there's the cleansing side that happens when we're able to give voice to that thing. So it, it's two sides of that coin. Okay. Well, that helps a lot. Thanks. Matt, you have some other things to say about forgiveness and unforgiveness? Yeah, I probably need some correction here if I misspeak, but I oftentimes struggle in my own unforgiveness of self in two regards. One is a, is a pride where I can't believe I keep sinning or having this issue. So there's this haughty view of self, like I should be beyond this. I should be above this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm letting myself down. I'm letting my team down. It's the guy, it's the baseball player who breaks the bat every time he strikes out because he can't believe he struck out. It's like mm-hmm. we strike out and we take ourselves a little too seriously. The other aspect um, that I jotted down as Mark was saying is just that idea of if we truly understand that Jesus did pay it all, it's mm-hmm. insulting to think Jesus can't pay for us. It actually limits his ability to pay for our sins. And if we believe God's all powerful and all capable, well, then we are forgiven. There's no exceptions. We're not special enough that our sins are in this category that cannot be paid for. And so that's almost a sense of pride. The other thought that came was, um, I think it's just this idea of, I wrote it down. I'm trying to make sense of what I wrote down. Oh, it was the idea of the daily prayer of asking for forgiveness for specific sins. Sometimes, we just don't want to get specific because it's painful. And if I ask for forgiveness for God for the specific thing, and if I name the words I shared to my children, if I was impatient or the thought I have, if I actually go deep enough to identify the thing I'm asking for, it's a painful process. And so sometimes it's easier to say, Hey, God, forgive me for my sins today. <laughs> Boom. I'm atoned for. Thank you, Jesus. But anytime I have to confess up, you know, if it's relational and I say, I'm sorry to you and it's, I'm just sorry. But if I actually have to revisit what I'm sorry about and watch your facial expressions as I watch that pain, it's just another level of acceptance and of how that thing really hurts. So anyway, I I could be its own try, but I would just give it some thought in terms of uh, when it comes down to receiving forgiveness is once when we actually identify what we've done. It helps identify those things. Mark, you triggered it when you said, you know, that whole identifying the sins of the people when they lay their hands on the goat. That's a powerful metaphor for when we identify the things that we've done. Just puts it in a different perspective and allows us to just deal with that thing versus 
skipping over. I should add, then they let the goat wander off and becomes the scapegoat. Exactly. Um, the scapegoat takes our sins away from us. Uh, it, they'll eventually something does happen to the goat. Oh yeah. Eventually. <laughs> Matt, to your point, um, what I used to pray for when I was young, I used to pray, please forgive me for all my unspoken sins. <laughs> I didn't have to list any of them. Oh yeah. I figured it covered everything, spoken, unspoken, remembered, unremembered, you know, all of it. <laughs> right. And just for clarity, we don't list them all so that each one will be forgiven, you know, in terms of, right. <laughs> I don't want to get legalistic about it, but oh, we, do, not? Okay, we do spare ourselves some heartache, right? Yeah. Just by receiving the forgiveness without any kind of thought about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. We covered a lot of ground here. Let me see if I can wrap it up for us. We, um, we talked a little bit about the short-term satisfaction of sin versus long-term satisfaction of holiness. We talked about that woman and the posse that dragged her out in front of Jesus, just like many posses do today um, for us, at least not intentionally, but we feel it. Um, and then we talked about shame, which I think was um, probably the most eye-opening part. I hope everybody that's listening really got something out of that. Just figuring that when you feel shame, your brain shuts off and gets dark. I think is really interesting way to think about is my brain dark now? Is my head down? What am I supposed to do with this? And then go find somebody that you can trust and build a trusting relationship with somebody who will be there for you, right? All right. So bottom line, gentlemen, um, last thoughts about this, about all of that we talked about and that woman and we won't talk about the man not being dragged out with her, but you know, I can't, I can't go there. It's another podcast, but you know, the Christian feminist in me kind of, <laughs> kind of gets a little wild up. So last thoughts, yeah. gentlemen, no thoughts. Uh, a place to start if you're overwhelmed with shame is to write things down. Write out what, what do you regret? What do you resent? Writing it down is a first step towards getting it separated from me and getting it away from me. Jesus already purchased my freedom, right? But now I'm applying it. I'm stepping into it, right? And then, you know, if you don't have that safe person to talk to, to is when it comes to naming those regrets and resentments, you know, start by writing it out. Yeah. Great idea. Great idea. We all should buy a journal tonight. Matt, last thoughts. Yeah, I just uh, want to use this opportunity just to affirm Mark and his ministry that I've just seen folks in his church have just fallen in love with Mark because he truly embodies this and lives this out. And that one of the beautiful things about both existing churches and church plants is church is supposed to be the place where we can come and share our brokenness, find encouragement and do life in community where we are encouraged. We don't come in to clean up, to show off. We clean up to recognize there's more cleaning up to do. And it's just this understanding of that. And so Mark has created a space for people to experience that. And we're certainly attempting to do that. And we try to encourage as many other pastors to be on that journey too, and uh, share that with us. So for those that are out there and they may have given up on church or the idea of church, there are plenty of healthy churches out there where you can go be a part of. And yeah. um, all of us 
are imperfect. And so don't put all your hopes in any church or any pastor. Put them in Jesus where they belong. And then we correct each other and love each other as we do this life together. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us. Uh, I am honored to be actually on this podcast with two men who were and two families that were courageous enough to plant churches to begin with, but then to hold them together through a pandemic year that we never saw coming. So thank you for letting me be a part of this and listening to you and learning from both of you. Uh, I so appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. And of course, thank you, Matt, for leading us well. Uh, so thank you for the podcast listeners. Uh, we hope that you got something out of this. We'll be posting some resources in the box below. Um, so please feel free to take advantage of all of them. Uh, I'll put my contact information and Matt's contact information in there as well. So if you have any questions, concerns, or need some prayer or need to talk to somebody about some things that are bothering you as a result of listening to our podcast, we're here for you. So thanks a lot. Have a great week. See you next week. See you now. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there's anything we can do for you, a question we can talk through with you, a prayer we can say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. Text ECC info to 94000 or connect at our website, experiencecc.org. We are better together. Connect with us soon. See you next time on the Experience Christian Church Podcast. Take care.